0: Well, this evening we continue our quick survey of the Ten Commandments. And we come tonight to the Third Commandment. So I turn now to Exodus chapter 20 to read verse 7, which is the Third Commandment. And so our scripture reading this evening is short, but it is commandment from the Lord as he spoke to all of the people of Israel and as was written down faithfully here in the scripture by Moses without error because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and so we hear now the very word of the living God Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 hear the word of God you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain For the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Now, I pray that the Lord would bless the preaching of this word, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O God. Amen. So as we come here this evening to the third commandment in our series here on the Ten Commandments, I'll remind you, and I'll probably keep reminding you throughout this series, that the moral law of God, that which characterizes God's character, or rather which, which displays God's character, summarized in the Ten Commandments, uh, does not give us a means to earn our own way to heaven. And again, we examine these particular commandments, the, these ten, as the foundation of or the summary, if you will, of God's moral law because they're the very commandments that God himself spoke to Israel and that uh, he wrote with, as Moses says, the very finger of God on the stone tablets that he gave to Moses. And so we know there's something that stands out about these ten. They are, in particular, the summary of his moral law. They reflect God's character. And, of course, we find In scripture, these reduced even more to the statement, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In order to get into heaven, if we were to try to get there by keeping God's commandments, these ten being the foundation of God's moral commandments for us, We would have to keep them absolutely perfectly. Otherwise, we are unfit for God's presence. And I hope that you've been honest enough with yourself as we've gone through the first two of these commandments to recognize that you and I have not kept these commandments. And we're only three in now, and we're going to deal with the third one tonight. And so my intent here is not to tell you how to be righteous enough to get yourself into heaven. But rather, the commandments serve two important purposes for God's people. And I'll keep reiterating this throughout the series. Number one, they show us how holy God is. And as we said before, they're like a mirror. Because they show us how holy God is, and we look at ourselves in that mirror and we see, I'm not like that. I'm dirty. I need to be cleansed. So they show us that God is holy and righteous, and I am not, and you are not. We are sinners. And therefore, we, if we want any kind of relationship with our Creator, other than to be judged by Him as unfit for His presence, we need a Redeemer We need a savior, a reconciler, a mediator. Someone who takes these sins upon himself and pays their penalty and who is perfectly righteous so he can pay the penalty for someone else and is of infinite value so he can pay the price for as many people as he chooses to die for. And of course that can only be the one who is both God and man, Jesus Christ. So... The first thing the commandments show us, God's moral law, shows us that we need a Savior in Jesus Christ, that He is the only one who can save us. Prior to Christ's coming, of course, uh, these laws exposed the fact that a Savior needed to come. Now that we've had Christ in the world and we can see what He's done, what He's accomplished in His ministry, we can look at these commandments and we can see how desperately we need Him. The second use there is for God's people is that the commandments teach those who receive reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ how now to serve Him. How to glorify Him. How to show that we are thankful. How to show our gratitude for the free gift that we have of salvation in Jesus Christ. And they also show us if we're able to keep them, and the more that we're able to keep them over time, they show us that our faith is genuine, that we're not fooling ourselves, that God is actually working within you to make you more righteous, and therefore he must have changed your heart, therefore the Holy Spirit must be dwelling in you and guiding you, so that over time you become progressively sanctified. And so that would be part of this second use of the law. They The second use shows us how to serve God, and as we do serve God, then we are more assured of our own salvation. And then, of course, there's that third use of the law that isn't our focus at this time through this series. They also help keep the unregenerate from being as bad as they could be. And that's not, of course, our major concern, but it is a third use that we find in Scripture for God's law, that God gives His law, sends His law out into the world, and that mankind is generally less wicked than we could be, even when we're still in our sins, because we have some sense of what is right. Now, we might also note what Jesus says in Matthew 5:33. Verses, uh, verses, yeah, Matthew 5:33 through37. got tongue tied there. But here's what Jesus says, in terms, and this connects directly to our understanding of what it means to bear the Lord's name in vain. But I say to you, excuse me, I read the wrong verse there, starting at verse 33, again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, we've talked about this before, and I won't go In depth into everything we have to say about those verses, but in its biblical context and in its historical context, it becomes clear that Jesus was not forbidding us from taking any oath or making any vow at any time, but rather he was, first and foremost, condemning a practice that was well known in his time a practice among many Jews of swearing by heaven or by earth or by the temple rather than by the name of God, so as to feel free not to keep the oath. So they would perhaps have dealings with Gentiles, and they would swear by the temple, or something like that, and, and say, uh, I promise I'll keep this contract, I'll keep this, uh, this business deal with you, or whatever it might be. And I swear by the temple, or I swear by the hairs of my head, or I swear by heaven. And the pagan would think, well, if I swore by the temple of Zeus, I would expect Zeus to hold me responsible if I didn't keep the oath. And meanwhile, the, the Jewish person was thinking, well, the commandment says that we shall swear by the name of the Lord alone, so it's not really an oath if I swear by something else. And he might feel free, kind of like a child. Crossing his fingers behind his back. Free to break this promise. But the Lord here points out, Jesus points out, that that heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is his holy city. Where he placed his temple. His earthly throne room, as it were. So in every oath or vow, it is God to whom we are accountable to keep our word. And it's ultimately by His name that we are swearing any time we swear an oath of any kind. So consequently, to break the oath is to break the third commandment. Why? Because we promise, we're, we're told in the third commandment, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so, of course, if we swear by the Lord, and we don't mean it, we're taking the Lord's name in vain, but even when we swear an oath by something else, we're actually swearing by the Lord, even if we're trying to cross our fingers behind our back, so to speak. So simply put, this commandment forbids us from misusing God's name in any way, and certainly by any oath that we swear. And so when Jesus says... You shall swear by the name of the Lord, or rather when he says you shall not swear by anything else, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for uh, whatever is more than these is from the evil one. He understands, he's saying that uh, you shall not swear by anything but the Lord. You shall perform your oaths to the Lord. That's the commandment of God. He's not contradicting the Old Testament scripture, but rather showing that we have to keep it, no matter uh, what kind of oath we might swear. So we're required to be reverent, of course, with the name of God. And so we can broaden this. Of course, the the first reading of that, if we were to to read the commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, the the first place where that that would be brought to to the mind of an ancient Israelite would be in terms of the swearing of oaths. But of course, you and I know it's much broader than that, and... It's been used more recently for simply any irreverent use of the name of God. But it, of course, goes even beyond what we're used to using it as. So, of course, we are required to be reverent whenever we use a name of God. And anything that, that we count as the name of God, or that is treated as the name of God in Scripture, Yahweh, of course, I am Jehovah, the Lord Also, of course, Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anything that we could consider a name of God must definitely be held in reverence and spoken of carefully and reverently. But then we also think of titles of the Lord that we ought not to misuse or misapply or misappropriate to someone else. The Almighty Lord of hosts, counselor, God most high, prince of peace. I remember in my youth turning on wrestling, professional wrestling, so called. And of course these are professional athletes, it's just that uh, that when people say that wrestling is fake, what they mean or ought to mean, of course, is, is that they've determined the outcome. Uh, there's a script to it. But you still have to be pretty athletic to do the stuff that these people do, and and we don't belittle that, or ought not to belittle that. But I remember uh, one of these men calling himself, in the context of his his character in in wrestling, called himself the King of Kings. Well, there's only one King of Kings, and we ought not to use that title frivolously. We ought also not to frivolously use attributes of God. Holy One, Almighty, Ever-Present, All-Knowing, Loving God. Those things ought to be held in reverence as we connect them to the Lord, the attributes of the Lord. Uh, Even His ordinances, baptism, communion, the sacraments, the church, other things that God has instituted like marriage, Those are things that we ought to be very careful with how we handle them because they are God's own institutions and we are misusing the name of the Lord when we misuse those things which God has given to us. His word, the Bible, when we treat the Bible as if it's just a group of documents written by men who had their own agendas rather than the word of the living God. We're dishonoring the one who gave it. His works, creation, miracles, providence. When we make light of the things that God has done, we dishonor His name. And we're forbidden then, in the third commandment, from doing any of those things, from taking any of those things lightly, from misappropriating, misusing them, for any profane use of His name or any attribute of His or mocking His works belittling His word when we profane, abuse, mock or belittle any of those things by which God makes Himself known to us we are in fact taking the Lord's name in vain. And we also have to stop and think that in Scripture the concept of a name Refers not only to a personal identifier like I'm Daniel and there's Harold and there's Bessie and so on. Uh, those are helpful. That's what naming is for. Personal identifiers. The the Lord uh, gave or showed the animals to Adam. And what did animal? What did Adam do? He named them. Which also his ability to name them showed his authority over them. You yeah. know. Parents ordinarily name their children rather than the other way around because they have the authority to do so, right? So names are personal identifiers and they're helpful, but the way that the word name is used in Scripture can mean more than that. It can also refer to reputation, honor, and the like. And we still use it this way sometimes in our cultural context. we we'll talk about someone who is uh, working for a great cause or just trying to gain fame. And what do we say about that person? He is trying to make a name for himself or he, she is trying to make a name for herself. And so tragically, I might just say as an aside, so many people, especially in younger generations right now, are obsessed with making names for themselves that they don't care what the name is. They don't care what their reputation is. As long as they're famous, it doesn't matter if they're actually infamous. They can be famous for whatever reason, they will do it. We have a fame-obsessed culture. But certainly, in Scripture, the concept of a name refers more than just to the moniker, to the, the identifier for that particular person but it refers to the reputation and honor and the like. So in Philippians 2, when we're told that God gave Christ the name which is above every other name, that's not just saying that Jesus is a nicer name than others or something like that, but it's saying that he has a reputation, an honor, a glory that is above all others. So when we talk about God's name, we're talking more than just about a title or a descriptor or an identifier that we can give him. So it's more than just the word Yahweh, the Lord. Everything God is can be summarized by the concept of his name. When we're told you shall not take the the name of the Lord your God in vain, it doesn't just mean that, God is angry if you misuse the name Yahweh or Jehovah or something. It's that God is saying you shall honor his reputation. Everything God is can be summarized by the concept of his name. So any failure to keep his name, his titles, his attributes sacred violates this commandment. You know, we live in a culture in which directly profaning God's name seldom raises an eyebrow. You know, if someone profanely condemns, damns something in the name of God, when on a television program, they might bleep out the word damn, but they won't bleep out the word God. Seldom, will they? I've even... Seen contexts in which that doesn't get edited out whatsoever. And of course, whether it's censored out of the television program or not, the actor had to say it because it was in the script. Profaning the name of God is seldom raising any kind of eyebrow. The number of jokes about Jesus I've heard on television in my life. The... Frequent use of the expression oh my God. Not as an expression of dependence on him. There are legitimate ways in which you can say oh my God. If there weren't I wouldn't be saying it here right now. You can call upon God and say oh my God help me. Jesus from the cross said my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a way of saying oh my God and calling upon him. But of course today it's so often used as simply an exclamation it's a it's like putting a an exclamation point on what you're saying it's a it's almost an expletive or it's text message abbreviation omg not to mention the practice of adding the vulgar f-word in the middle of that remember some years ago here your controversy because uh, trying to appeal to a young demographic. And it, was, it was when text messaging was just taking off that uh, some television program and its uh, advertisement about what was going to come up used that, O-M-F-G. And, there, and everyone knew, this was network television, and everyone knew what was meant by that. Putting that vulgar term in there with, oh my, it was bad enough That they would have had OMG on there. God says he will not hold the person guiltless who does that. That's a grave thing. God is speaking to his people whom he is redeeming. And he says, I will not hold him guiltless who does this. And by the way, the Lord isn't fooled if you say golly instead. Or gosh. Or G whiz instead of God Almighty or God or Jesus. However, there are other ways, perhaps more profound ongoing ways, that people misuse the name of God without even thinking about it. And you and I can be far more prone to this because we're very aware of the ways in which we can literally use the name of God, the word God or the name Yahweh or something like that, or some title of God like Almighty and misuse it. But there are more subtle ways that we can do this and more easily fall into it because we don't notice because it's not as obvious. Ways in which we can violate the third commandment that aren't so clear. James chapter 3 tells us we do it when we curse others. And especially whenever we mistreat other human beings. Because after all, You and I, and every other human being, is made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Yes, that image is broken by sin, and so in my sins I might be prone to dishonoring another person, and I might see their brokenness and want to dishonor that. But James tells us rightly that when we mistreat our fellow human being, we are violating God's name. We are dishonoring God's name because we're violating the image of God that He created. Another way, or really category of ways, that we can violate the third commandment includes any time that you and I as Christians do anything that would reflect poorly on our Lord and Savior. As Christians, we of course have a mystic union with Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Christ has made His home with us. He and the Father have as He promised. And we bear His name in the world. We are Christians. Christ's people. Paul calls every believer, Christ's ambassadors in the world. Anytime, therefore, that we say or do something unchrist-like, we profane his name. What would happen to an ambassador of the United States if we sent him to China or some other country and he started doing things embarrassing to us as a country? Well, usually that ambassador is going to get recalled. He's going to lose his job. He's going to be reprimanded. There are going to be consequences for it. Well, God doesn't hold us guiltless when we bear His name in the world and then we do things that dishonor His name. Anytime that we say or do something unchristlike, we profane the name of Christ, which we bear, and we therefore violate the third commandment. This is especially true if we malign others or curse them, when we gossip maliciously, when we engage in any blasphemous activity. And it becomes blasphemous when we dishonor others because we're misusing our position as Christ's representatives in the world. Jesus points out that we dishonor God's name if we swear by other things. So whether it's one of the things that he mentioned there, whether it's the holy city or heaven or earth or anything else, think of People saying things like, I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear on a stack of Bibles. By the whiskers of my chin. Whatever else that we could swear by. If we're not keeping that, or if we're taking that oath frivolously, we're dishonoring God's name. We break this commandment if we swear any oath or take any vow without reverence, without intention to keep it or without thinking through what we might be vowing or or binding ourselves to in an oath. And we trample the name of God when we fail to keep our promises. When we consider all these things, all these ways that we could violate this commandment, well, I can safely say every human being on earth who's lived long enough to be able to make a promise stands guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain. If we were to try to enter the kingdom on our own merits, we would be lost. But Jesus never once profaned the name of the Lord. There's one human being in all of history who never profaned the name of the Lord, and that's the one who's the Lord God himself. And the Father laid on him the guilt for all of our sins, including every time we bore his name in vain. Every time we misused the name of the Lord. So in relation to this commandment, that means Jesus was found guilty. When God says, I will not hold him guiltless who takes the name of the Lord in vain, Jesus was found guilty for all of my blasphemies and all of yours. All of my misusing of his name and all of yours. All of my behavior that reflects poorly on the Lord and all of yours. All of my careless words, all of my broken promises and all of yours. Every believer in Jesus Christ has done these things to our shame and yet the the guilt for them was laid upon Jesus When we trust in Jesus Christ, we receive His righteousness and our sins are not counted against us. If you have not trusted in Christ, then your only hope is to do so. God does not hold guiltless those who take His name in vain, but He places the guilt of His people for that on Jesus. So our response should be what? When we recognize what? what God has laid on Jesus for us, it should be love and gratitude that and produces a desire never to dishonor the name of God in any possible way again. Never to misuse or profane the name of Jesus, our Savior, or our Savior God in any way. We ought always to take great care in what we say or do that it reflects well on Christ So that what we do and say will redound to his glory. And so that as we do this more and more, it doesn't mean you won't stumble in this and find yourself misusing the name of Christ again and again. But Lord willing, you will see over time that you're more aware of that and that you're more careful with the name and the reputation of our God when you hear God's name used in vain, it will bother you. I remember uh, seeing a movie some years ago in which a man had traveled forward in time from the 19th century to the early 21st century and he went to a movie. And I mentioned how earlier how uh, easily our culture misuses the name of God and people don't even raise eyebrows. This man went into a film and he, he watched some some movie, some action film or something, and, and then he comes running out of the theater shouting, they're profaning the name of God. And of course, everybody thought he was crazy. But that really ought to be our attitude. We'll be more sensitive and it will hurt us to hear God's name profaned. And what we do will more and more redound to his glory as we honor his name more and more. And so rather than causing him to be mocked or profaned ourselves. We will over time, by His grace, more and more honor and cause His name to be honored. Well, let's pray. Lord, we do hold Your name sacred. And we look forward to the day when, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. We ask that You would shape us and conform us to His image, that everything we say and do may bring honor and glory to the precious and holy name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that nothing we do would ever bring dishonor to that name, even as we pray in that name this evening. Amen.